Welcome to Creatives on Court. My name's Elaine Brewer-White. I am a clay sculptor and I'm passionate about all things creative. This podcast is about talking to all kinds of artists, the how and the why they create. I'll be talking with painters, poets, actors, musicians, novelists, clothing designers, leather makers, jewelers, potters, oh, and uh, there may also be some wine involved. The goal is to celebrate art and artists and all the contributions that enrich our culture and maybe even inspire us to our own creative path. Okay, welcome to Creatives Uncorked. We are going to be in conversation with Peter Flanagan today. So cheers, Peter. What are you drinking? Cheers. I'm drinking a, uh, it's a Pinot Noir made by Stone Boat. Uh, vineyards down in Oliver. In Oliver, the, yeah. yes, I've been to Stoneboat before. It's a nice little winery, but yeah, they make some really uh, beautiful wines. Okay, yeah, cheers. cheers. I like your cup. Thank you. Ceramic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, oh, that's a good way to get started. So, Peter, you are in one of my favorite places in the whole world. You're in Peachland, Okanagan valley bc and can you tell us a little bit about how you arrived there i I looked it up and it said that there was a pottery there in 1968 that couldn't have been you because you don't look 150 so (laughs) (laughs) yeah well thank you yeah so you know it goes back to the mid 80s elaine okay and uh, I was thinking about it recently, um, prepping for this. The the way this sort of came about ending up here, in a way it was natural, but it, it sort of grew out of a disappointment in a sense that I had, I'd applied to go to grad school mm-hmm. and uh, I had a little studio set up in my parents' backyard in Victoria with a wood firing kiln. And I had this body of work together. I'd just finished a degree in art history at UVic. And I applied to, I put all my eggs in one bath and applied to Nova Scotia College of Art and Design mm-hmm. with all of these uh, slides of wood-fired pots. And, and it was a school that was primarily focused on uh, sort of myolica, low-temperature earthenware. So it, it wasn't mm-hmm. really a good fit. Anyways, I wasn't accepted. And, uh, but the result of that, uh, my mother and father-in-law who live in Peachland, they had both been potters and started out making pots in the Okanagan in the early sixties. And there was always an open invitation to join them at their roadside studio right in Peachland. So, so that's where it it was sort of a fallback position, but the, the wonderful part of it was, uh, it seems like Daphne and I no sooner arrived uh, in Peachland and a good friend of my father-in-law, Des Lone, mm-hmm. um, uh, Les Manning, who was director at the BAMPS, uh, at the BAMPS yeah. Center. Yeah. Uh, Les was just finishing up working at the studio. He had a sabbatical from the BAMPS Center and was working right in the studio where, where uh, we started working. Wow. And so that was a, a wonderful connection with, with Les. And lo and behold, just up the road and uh, Luke Lindo, who had started uh, Plainsman Clays and Medicine mm. Hat, Mm-hmm. And he had just recently sold Plainsman Clay and had come out to retire uh, to Peachland. So mm-hmm. he became a, an amazing uh, mentor for both Daphne and I. And just, you know, it was just all of the things that we were just starting to work out and mm-hmm. really at, at the very beginnings of our own pottery work. Uh, he, he was a, a wonderful educator and uh, very patient and uh, helpful with us. Wow. And it, it just seemed like... Uh, 
all these things sort of fell into place. There was, you know, Bob King's mill was just up the road. He was in Vernon. So there was this whole kind of community. And, and what I realized in retrospect is that if you sort of just opening your eyes and seeing what's out there and, and there, there was just this amazing uh, community around us and, and it ended up becoming a, a, like a wonderful kind of grad school in our own little studio. So mm-hmm. it, it was, uh, yeah, just a, a fabulous experience. And that mm-hmm. was sort of that beginning in the, in the mid eighties in, uh, yeah. in Peachland. In Peachland. So was it called Okanagan Pottery already or is that your? So um, yeah, Des, Des called, they'd actually first started a studio in Summerland and they called it Okanagan Pottery Studio. So mm-hmm. in honor of them, we've kept that name going. I guess we've kind of shortened it now. We just call it Okanagan Pottery. That's what oh. our website is, is OkanaganPottery.com. Yeah. So because this is the podcast about all the art and you and I are in ceramics, so we get, we, we can nerd out all <laughs> for hours <laughs> on ceramic techniques and, and descriptions. So for somebody who doesn't know ceramics, can you describe the kind of work that you do? You've got a great piece sitting behind you. Yeah. Like, this is oh. a podcast, so it's got to be. <laughs> yeah, probably in, uh, mid to late 80s I, I applied to at the Banff Center to do a residency and I think the piece behind me is a good example of a direction that I be- began with in making larger scale chargers I, I call them chargers because chargers. they're they're not really a functional plate they are something right. that uh, is mounted on the wall so and huge, um, huge platters for people to, to get an idea and they're wall mounted yes and they're how, how big are they in, in general yeah, so this, um, well, yeah, and in clay terms, so uh, like a box of clay, most people can kind of visualize that. That's in the mm-hmm. sort of mid 40 to 50 pounds of clay. Mm-hmm. Uh, these pieces are around, they're more than that. They're about 75 pounds of clay that wow. I begin with. And then wow. some of them have gone up to about 100 pounds of clay. So that's centered on the wheel. Yeah. And uh, they're, they're a real um, labor of love in that yeah. they, they require uh, not only the initial forming, but days, weeks, and months to actually very slowly dry them because they are a high-fired porcelain. Right. So they, from start to finish, just to get it to the dry stage is about three months. And during that oh, time, wow. flat rim, which I think you can kind yeah. of see the indication of that, if I just allowed it to dry almost naturally that rim would just pull right up and it uh, would end up being like a big deep bowl right. so i keep coaxing that rim down by putting it back on the wheel and that's something uh, my partner Daphne and i it's a two-person job we it yeah, really wouldn't happen without two of us working on them so we lift them on and off the wheel it's a good little workout yeah and and then and then eventually they actually have to be turned and flipped and with the smaller pieces Daphne and I could take it and actually turn it yeah and flip it over onto a lower uh large round plywood bat or board these got so large that I ended up inventing a special kind of flipping device that allows it to just rotate on a single axis. And if people look on the website, there's a, a short little video of that that they right. could uh, check out. But the pieces go through uh, two firings. So they're fired uh, first, uh, the first firing, a bisque firing, mm-hmm. hard, hardens the clay, but it's still porous. Right. At which point it can then be, um, have different glazes that are applied by uh, dipping and pouring. But yeah, there's a number of, number of different stages. The, the center 
parts. There were so many different aspects of making these that I realized that it was actually, I, I pre-fired these. So they were actually oh. high fired. I could have a selection of what I wanted to put in the middle before the rest of the piece fired. And that way, because I found sometimes I'd have a beautiful outside on the plate, but the, the middle part wouldn't work out. And then, you know, that was three or four months worth of work just wasted. Oh. So if I pre-fire these centers right. and then stick them on and I use a little piece of cancel wire. Some people mm -hmm. use cancel wire for handles. Mm -hmm. I just have a little nail of that and that allows me to center that piece they're so beautiful. Like there's, there's swirls and all the, and cross hatching. There's so much going on in East peach, each, <laughs> each peach and peach, peach, see your peach. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, and I think Elaine, uh, you know, you've been involved in working with clay and sculpting. And I, I think so much of it, I mean, it's certainly a creative process, but I mm -hmm. think it, for me, it's also, it's a evolution. So mm -hmm. you, you kind of, you discover little indicators, little bits of information come out of a glaze firing. Yeah. And then you, you yeah. get this sort of spark in your, you know, the synapse fires or whatever. And you, you get this little idea of, wow, I could actually, yeah. I could exploit and, uh, and sort of develop further. So that, that's right. all part of that process. That's Not unlike painting, sculpting, or anything. Well, but there, the difference with glazes and ceramics, it's an alchemy at some point. And you can't be exactly sure sometimes how things are going to turn out. And when, like, just like you said, when all of a sudden something goes a different way, it can inspire a whole nother series or a whole nother painters. They have more control. Well, one would like to think so. But do you know what I mean? Like, that's the thing about when you close the lid to that kiln, yeah. <laughs> you can never yeah. be 100% sure. Yeah. yeah, if you if you have a tube of paint and you, you know, you squeeze it out, like what you see is pretty much what you yes, get. Exactly. Um, it, for people working in ceramics and clay, uh, it's not what you see is what you get. So no. the, the way to sort of work through that and as anybody working with clay knows is that you have to do a lot of testing oftentimes you're you're testing on relatively small pieces mm -hmm. so, but you can get an indication of what the glaze color might do and and what uh, you know how much it's going to run and all of that but mm -hmm. yeah what there is a that sort of leap of faith when you yeah make those decisions as you're decorating and working on a piece and then you commit it to the kiln like for us it, we have um it's about a 40 cubic foot gas fired kiln so we can wow. only fire one of these large pieces at the very top of the kiln where it's wow. about a 36 inch by 36 inch space that i can yeah. load and then below that is more of the functional, oh, the pottery. functional work but um i don't we do about two firings per month so mm -hmm. uh, a couple of these coming out uh, per month fortunately we i've had a really uh, positive response to the work and yeah. yeah i'm happy i've got two exhibitions that i'm working towards uh, yeah. in vancouver this september yeah it's circle uh, yeah it's circle yeah. Mm -hmm. and then the other one is here in the okanagan and that's uh, myself wood designer john rousseau Okay. And an abstract painter, Joan Skeet. So oh. the, the three of us will, will be exhibiting together. So I'm really excited. Oh, that sounds that. like a great combination. We're kind of uh, building up work for both of those. Yeah. 
exhibitions. So an, an important part of your practice is the functional work, like you were just saying. So what kind of work do you do? Is that is that what sustains the pottery is the sale of that work? Yeah, I, I think it's it's probably kind of half and half. I, I would say about, you know, half of it is the more functional use pieces that are used on a daily basis. The other half, I would say, would be more the the chargers and sort of more sculptural uh, pieces. So yeah, I'd say it's kind of half and half. And, uh, but yeah, I've always been, I've always been fascinated with uh, bowls and they've been a big item for me for many years now. Yeah. And I continue to make those. And fortunately, I, I've had a really good response to those. I've got going a few months back on, uh, I was doing these uh, ramen bowls and I, I thought I was making quite a good size uh, ramen bowl and somebody right. had ordered half a dozen of them. And I, you know, I'd, I'd scrambled to get them done before Christmas and right. looked at them. He said, nope, not big enough. So, oh, really? so back to the drawing board. So anyway, I've kind of come, I've come upon a, a really nice size for those and they've actually been really well received. We've hmm. been shipping them uh, like down to Vancouver and Victoria and just Today, actually, four of them went off to North Carolina that somebody oh, had ordered. So we fantastic. we were we were just tickled with that. So, so yeah. do they order through your website or do you have Etsy and you know? No, actually, yeah, it is social media, and uh, I would say it's pr primarily uh, Facebook and the website Okanagan Pottery, and also Instagram. So mm -hmm. I think all three of those. Probably Instagram would be the biggest one. Right. And yeah, people just send like a direct message and then we yeah. just follow up with them that way. That's great, isn't it? Because Instagram is such a visual marketing medium. So it's you just put a picture up there and people instantly understand it. And especially yeah. with your work, it like I love seeing what you're coming up with. So I gotta look into those ramen bowls because <laughs> <laughs> now that you got the well, you got it, the size. Yeah, <laughs> Super right. size I, ramen bowls. I, I got the size right. That's right. <laughs> oh, I love yeah. that. Oh, yeah. that's so great. Yeah. So and and what was it like usually? I mean, Peachland is where the world comes to vacation. So do you have a an open yeah. Yeah, so, you know, with COVID and certainly, uh, you know, we followed all the appropriate protocols for that last summer. And then even through through this year, we all want to uh, come and see work right at the house. We, we have, we've had open houses, so we send out people on our mailing list, have work set up on our patio, and um, it, it's quite a good size patio and, and enough room for people to circulate in a safe way. Actually, the, the winter's been so mild. We've had visitors coming by, usually on the weekend. Wow. And they usually, uh, Elaine, give us a bit of an indication of what kind of things they're looking for. Okay. And then we'll, because we, we have a, a good-sized studio. It's about a 1,000-square-foot studio, but we really mm. don't have a gallery space mm. in that. So we set up the patio or just in the carport area. Mm -hmm. And then people can actually uh, just view work there. And oh, okay. uh, so, yeah, that's seems to have been working out quite well. So, well, I mean, I imagine this summer, hopefully, you know, things are, are going to start to resemble normal again, as it's we're hoping, right? So yeah. do people, when that happens, do people come yeah. and go or do they? Yeah, usually it's, one? yeah, usually it's by a, appointment. We, uh, yeah, we haven't taken the step to have a sign at the end of our driveway, but yeah, usually people, uh, either phone or email if they're, you know, mm -hmm. coming down to the valley, say from Edmonton or Calgary or up right. from Vancouver. 
So that's, they usually just either phone or email ahead and then we, uh, you know, make, make time for them that way. So yeah, that's actually worked out really, really well. Actually, as my mother and father-in-law got on in years, the studio was situated on a larger tract of land. So it kind of became unsustainable for them to hold on to that. So uh, back in the, oh, I guess it was back in 07, they, that property was, uh, was sold so all of a sudden we were without a studio and mm. I applied for a job in sales of medical equipment mm. which was just an absolute completely out in left field as far as I'd never done anything like that but yeah the company that hired me was keen on uh, train they thought I was trainable I, I don't know how <laughs> they figured that but no anyway so I did that for a few years so there was a hiatus from the studio so yeah. now we we've basically been back at it since 2016 so oh. uh, five years back at it and it you know it definitely uh we'd fallen off the map and it took yeah. time to yeah. sort of reestablish old connections as well as make yeah so what was it like getting back in the studio like when you were away were you in the studio at all or did you just close the yeah. door for a while yeah there was a little bit of activity early on but not mm -hmm. and then I ended up just kind of putting it all on the back burner mm -hmm. so by the time after after eight years and kind of the corporate world I was just itching to get back into the studio yeah, so it was just a delight to all of a sudden you know be working for myself again and Daphne and I working together again under one roof mm -hmm. and uh, it was you know it, they always say it, it's kind of like riding a bicycle but mm -hmm. you realize there's riding a bicycle and then it, it <laughs> definitely it took time like yeah. I mean I could pedal but I couldn't do a wheelie or a catwalk or yeah anything. and you, yeah so and stay on the grass time, for a while. It, it, yeah, <laughs> don't get on pavement right away <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, so exactly. what is it so now you get back in the studio you're creating again and you're well versed in what you do now now that you're back and you've reestablished yourself what is it that you look for when you're looking for a new challenge where do you tend to find your sparks so I you know I I guess it's that sort of daily activity of I I guess the the large uh wall chargers are probably the mm -hmm. the spark that you know keeps uh keeps my cylinders uh, firing that's sort of my primary focus right now and yeah i find them just inspiring to work on scale yeah. and yeah. and i you know i i've certainly had ones that didn't work out but i felt as though i could kind of keep pursuing it and figure out and discover where the challenges were either if they were drying too quickly and cracking or, or slumping or something right. not working out I, I would say those are sort of the the spots and just that sort of drive and I feel you know I'm kind of in my early 60s now and I figure you know this is kind of the time that I may as well just give it a shot and yeah. uh and and really explore this to the fullest extent and and that's what really gives me the most satisfaction and I'm so honored and and uh, have a ton of gratitude for the people who have been uh, encouraging and and supporting this endeavor so oh yeah. isn't that wonderful and it's not, and then you your wife is your partner and what other kind of things does Daphne do besides help you flip the chargers <laughs> yeah, well it uh, yeah it there's you know there, there's a number of different steps in the whole process of 
glaze mixing. We do make dinnerware. Daphne mm. does the, uh, we actually press mold the dinnerware. Okay. So she press molds that. And yeah, a lot of the works are, or the smaller pieces we're uh, collaborating on. And, and, you know, even the, as I say, even these large mm. ones really are uh, the team effort to, uh, to produce so these. So Isn't that wonderful. And, when you go into the studio, you're together. And so you obviously get along <laughs> when you go, when you finish work at the yeah. end of the day, it's not like you go your separate ways. Yeah. <laughs> Daphne was teasing me the other day. She said, you're not self-employed. You work for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good woman right there. <laughs> Well, that's good. Did you ask her for a raise? <laughs> <laughs> I will. That's a good suggestion. <laughs> I just want to get back to your firing process a little bit because you said a lot of the materials are locally sourced and you use fir, cherry wood, and um, the, the ash. Fir, uh, fir, cherry, pine, and actually um, birch. Yeah, we and it mm -hmm. all of that. Actually, uh, any of our neighbors around here who have either a, a fireplace or a wood burning stove, they'll kind of save ashes for us because mm -hmm. the ashes end up occupying about oh, almost like fifty percent of the glaze formula. Mm. So, and then the, the other aspect of that glaze, just local clay that I've gathered from right around the Okanagan here. Oh, cool. And so it's, it's kind of interesting in that it, it's really taking materials right out of this yeah. environment and then yeah. transforming them in the kiln. But there are, it really uh, excites me because I think there's certainly aspects of the Okanagan environment that somehow. Oh, cool. they, so it really they, is the Okanagan pottery. They, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. They, they do really uh, shine through in some ways. So I, I find that really uh, just an intriguing aspect. And earlier in the in my work in the 80s and 90s, uh, a lot of the motif that I was using were based on the vineyards in the valley. Mm -hmm. So I was using a, like a grape leaf uh, motif that was mm -hmm. printed onto the glaze. So now it's actually the, it's the Okanagan clay or the earth that I'm uh, incorporating into the design. That's the, so cool. um, so yeah. the, you know, these are, it's a bit like finger painting. Some potters refer to it as uh, finger wipe. So while yeah. the glaze is wet, yeah. um, I actually just slowly rotate the piece on the wheel and then yeah. basically just wipe away the, the wet glaze and expose the porcelain clay below. So that, ha that porcelain below, you end up getting this sort of nice uh, tan tone. Mm -hmm. but because of being made on the wheel and just the gradation of mm -hmm. the, the that surface it goes from well the deepest point of the of the charger would be right at the center mm -hmm. well, I love the way you get a gradation of the glaze and yeah. that the ash glazes are incredibly fluid like if mm -hmm. they were on a vertical like a vase or something they would basically run right off the vase yeah. it would be all stuck to the bottom of the huh. on the cone shelf but on on these plates they basically slowly melt down the sides and it's probably equivalent to almost like honey just kind of slowly moving yeah. right but yeah. as it fires and gets up to that uh, 1300 degrees centigrade it, it all kind of pools around these uh, central motifs. But I, I love that sort of gradation that you get. And it gives it another, almost like a three-dimensional quality. It really does. It really does. And I, I mean, I've seen a succession of them together. And they're so beautiful. They're all so different. They're really, they're almost, they remind me of Mandela's in a way, you know? Yeah, yeah they, yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think I remember uh, 
being quite struck by when I first did see Mandela's like Tibetan sort of Mandela's and those yeah. different images. There was a painter in Victoria whose work I really admired a lot when I was in my late teens and early 20s, a guy by the name of Jack Wise. And he did these beautiful um, gouache Mandela's. Yeah, in, in a way, I think these do, they have a relationship to that in some yeah. way. Yeah, because they're very meditative too. So maybe that's something that you take from that when you're creating too. Yeah, yeah, just yeah, kind of contemplative part of it. And I guess, you know, part of it too, maybe things around actually a friend uh, back in December, he came by and he had his telescope and we were looking at it was the rings of Saturn. And it was mm. amazing. He had a telescope that we were looking at Saturn and Jupiter, but it, mm. it was amazing to actually see these these rings that were circulating mm. around Saturn and stuff. But so oh. maybe a little bit of a something there as well. But yeah, also just playing yeah. The, yeah, with the different forms and glazes. So you're <laughs> seeing it in the sky, those circles. You're seeing them in the sky. You're seeing them in like when you throw a rock in a pond. You're seeing Yeah, them. right. Yeah. Yeah. That and I, I think that's something as people working with clay, that because it comes out of the earth, there are so many sort of natural forces that are yeah. that are connected with that material and i think that's part of what's fascinated me with clay since the late 70s is just the, it's just endless the, the kind of exploration and yeah. the discoveries that continue to appear yeah so yeah, yeah that it certainly keeps it it's true isn't it yeah excited to keep pursuing it you can leave your fingerprint in something and then a thousand years from now People won't find the things that were, were painted on canvas or, or made off paper or wood. That will all have dissolved, but they will find pottery shards, won't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's fascinating how, yeah, the, the shards and the sort of relics from, uh, from the past are all yeah. sort of... That's yeah. how I like to think of it as like, well, we'll leave our mark and then we'll leave our mark. <laughs> it, <laughs> it's staying in some form. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's that's right. Oh. Yeah, with that in mind, it, it's important to you know know which pieces you want to you want to have uh, survive. And I I know kind of getting things going again over the last recent years, lots of stuff that goes out on a regular basis mm -hmm. into the trash bin to mm -hmm. go off into the landfill that didn't work out or wasn't up to snuff. So that's uh, important yeah. part yeah. of it. Yeah, it's true. It still goes back to earth. From one yeah. from where it came. <laughs> I just, it's so great to see this. Work. Now, again, because this is a podcast and I always make sure to mention your website at the end. So of course, everybody will go and have a look and see what we've been talking about all this time. But um, thank you so much for talking with me and telling me about your process, because this is what it's all about. Like, I really am curious as to how every artist approaches their passion. This is yeah. so important, especially nowadays. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I, I think what a what a wonderful initiative uh, you've begun, Elaine. And, and I so appreciate you uh, taking the time to uh, dial me up and we, we yeah. have a chat. Yeah, it's been... And the Wi-Fi worked. <laughs> yeah, it did. <laughs> we connected. We yeah. connected. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Peter. And I hope to see you in the summertime sometime. Wonderful. Okay. Talking. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye. 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 Bye.
like to thank Peter Flanagan for that incredible conversation about his life as a potter and describing how he creates. You need to go and have a look at his website. That's okanaganpottery.com. And you can also find him on Instagram on Okanagan Pottery. Now, stay tuned for Creative Uncork's very first mini soap opera commercial. You will not be disappointed. Why are your suitcases at the front door? Because I'm leaving you. We've been engaged for 35 years, and I'm tired of waiting for a wedding band. Ugh, this again? Don't be so dramatic. You know I want to get married, but I still haven't found you the perfect wedding ring. No more excuses! Two months ago, it was bulk buy of potpourri. Last month, hair extensions for the dog. I've had it. I'm out of here. Goodbye! Hello? Juliet? I've come to see my wedding band again. Here it is, honey. And she picked out the perfect one, didn't she? Oh, yes. Ah, I love the hammered rose gold look. It's so masculine, and it fits me perfectly. She's picking it up tomorrow. I know. I better get home now, and I promise to act surprised. Juliet, 925, 100% recycled gold and refined silver jewelry. Custom made for you and your sweetheart. That's Juliet925.ca. If you'd like your very own old-fashioned radio ad made for your business, get a hold of us. Thanks again for listening. Bye-bye.